22, yet it's a passage that's largely misunderstood and rarely applied. And that's sad because this passage contains God's blueprint for marriage and the family. It speaks about wives in verse 22, husbands in verse 25, children in chapter 6 verse 1, and fathers in chapter 6 and verse 4. And we're going to examine this passage beginning this morning appropriately on Mother's Day, speaking about wives, and we're going to conclude it, Lord willing, on Father's Day, speaking about fathers. And I've entitled this series, Turning Houses into Homes. When I taught this passage 15 years ago, I was not married, and I had all the answers. Now I approach this with fear and trepidation because I have to go home to my wife. Kind of reminds me of a statement Lord Shaftesbury made. If the Pope had been married, he never would have thought up such a dogma as papal infallibility. His wife would have straightened him out. Marriage is a wonderful gift from God. And in marriage, we have the opportunity to achieve the deepest level of personal intimacy. And in the process of that intimacy, we not only discover things about our mate, we discover things about ourselves. And one of the painful lessons that marriage teaches us is the extent of our own self-centeredness. I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. And was faced with the day-to-day decisions of putting my wife's needs and my children's needs ahead of my own. And so the first step in an effective marriage is dealing with your own self-centeredness. Now, that doesn't sound real romantic. A lot of people draw the picture of marriage as two beautiful people, beautifully matched, meeting each other and falling in love and living happily ever after. We see, that is basically built upon the concept of love at first sight, and love at first sight is really infatuation and my definition of infatuation is I love me and so I want you because you'll make me happy and that's pretty shallow love and if you build a marriage relationship on that kind of love then at best you're going to have a pooling of selfishness or mutual exploitation see God's design for marriage is that two self-centered people surrender themselves first to Christ so that they're Christ-centered and then to each other so that they're other-centered. And that's tall order. And yet that's the tension that exists at the heart of every marriage. And that's why Paul gives this description of marriage in the context of the results of being filled with the Spirit. So you can't accomplish verses 22 and following until you first of all fulfill verse 18. You have to be filled with the Spirit of God in order order to carry out the things that He tells us to do within the family. And so the first thing you have to do is be filled with the Spirit. And how did we say you get filled with the Spirit? By surrendering to Him. So once you surrender yourself to the Spirit of God, then you are enabled to surrender yourself to your mate in that marriage situation. And actually, in its simplest terms, that is the blueprint for marriage. The wife surrenders herself by submitting to her husband, and the husband surrenders himself 
by laying down his life for his wife. That's the blueprint for marriage. And yet as we look around today, there are very few people applying that blueprint to their marriage, and that's one of the reasons we have a divorce rate in excess of 40%. But I want to tell you this morning that marriage has not failed. People have. People have because they're using a pattern other than God's. And there are a lot of people throwing around ideas today about marriage. One of the popular ideas is that marriage is a 50-50 affair. He gives 50%, she gives 50%, and that 100% is all happiness. Well, that's hogwash. Because if you try that pattern, the 50% that he hangs on to and the 50% that she hangs on to will become 100% trouble. Another idea today is that if you can just find the right person, you can be happy in marriage, so you might as well go around and try several until you find her. Or if you're single, you've got to wait till Prince Charming comes along or Snow White comes along, and if you can just find that ideal person, you can be happily married. But as I read this passage, what it emphasizes to me is that the essential ingredient in marriage is not finding the right person. The essential ingredient is being the right person. If you're married this morning, you have made your choice. What this passage tells you is how to be the husband you ought to be and how to be the wife you ought to be within that marriage that you have committed yourself to. And so let's see what Paul says to us about the relationships in marriage. Socrates once told his students, by all means marry. If you get a good wife, you'll be twice blessed. If you get a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. I don't know how Socrates defined a good wife, but I know how Paul describes her. And he does so in verses 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, in a discussion on marriage, no word brings more winces and grimaces than the S word. Submission. After 25 years of feminist activism, this word sounds downright demeaning to the ears of North Americans. And we associate this word with second-class citizen, with barefoot and pregnant, and with chauvinistic. And yet the Bible uses this word without apology. And the Bible tells us that this is the wife's response to her husband. Now, to help us get a little better concept on that, I want to note seven things that Paul says about submission in these three verses. Number one, he gives us the meaning. Uh, the Greek word here is hupotasso. Hupo means under. Tasso means to arrange or to order. So, when he says that a wife is to be submissive, what he's saying is that a wife is to place herself under her husband in order to meet his needs. You say, well, can't you find another definition? That's it. Now, the word's real simple. She is to order herself beneath him to both follow him as a leader and to meet his needs. Now, having said that, let me qualify it with a couple of statements. Number one, submission is not for wives only. 
In fact, this passage is, is actually headed with verse 21 where it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And this is one of the results of being filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit in verse 18, we are singing to the Lord, verse 19. We are giving thanks to the Lord, verse 20. And we are submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, verse 21. And so there is a mutual submission going on in the body of Christ. See, the reason we have conflicts within the church is because somebody wants to claim their rights. Somebody wants to rise to the top. Somebody wants to be first. Somebody wants to grab authority. In fact, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, a church that had all kinds of problems with division and with conflict, and the problem in that church was a me-first attitude. They came together for a love feast, and they ate their food before some of the people even got there because they were selfish. They had a time of sharing, and while somebody was talking, somebody else stood up and began to talk right over the top of, top of the other person because they were self-centered. You see, divisions and conflicts happen in all aspects of life when somebody tries to push themselves to the top. But the Spirit-filled life is not fighting to get the, to the top. The Spirit-filled life is expressed in fighting to get it's when I get to the point where I am trying to arrange myself underneath other people in order to meet their needs. It's Philippians 2.4, not looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It's Romans 12.10, giving preference to one another in honor. It's Philippians 2.3, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. You see, we as Christians are to arrange ourselves not over other people, but under other people, we are to be characterized by humble submission. And our example is Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God, with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's the example for us. He's the example in John chapter 13 when he took the, the pail and the and the towel and the water, and he washed the disciples' feet. He humbled himself. And if you are filled with the Spirit, there is to be mutual submission going on. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that God has established authority in government, authority in the church, and authority in the home. But in our relationships together, there is to be mutual submission. In fact, if you look closely, the word submission or subjection is in italics in verse 22 that means the word is not really in that verse. It's mentioned in verse 21, we're to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, and then he goes on to say, wives, here, here's how you show submission to your husbands, and then in verse 25 he says, husbands, here's how you show submission by loving your wife and laying down your life for her. Second thing I want to make to qualify this definition is that submission has nothing to do with equality. It's not a status of inferiority. Authority does not mean better than. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, it tells us that we are to be submissive to the governing authorities because they get their authority from God. Now, when a police officer blows his whistle at you or holds up his hand for you to stop, what do you do? You stop. And why do you stop? Because he's better than you? No. Because he has been given authority. Authority doesn't mean better than. Authority is something God has given us for order in society. Look at another verse look with me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. Important verse on this subject. 
1 Corinthians 11, 3. Paul says, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. Now he's laying out the order here, but it's interesting. He says that God is the head of Christ. You say, well, I thought Christ was equal with the Father. He is. He's the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the one who said, I and the Father are one. And so this tells me that headship and submission have nothing to do with equality. Jesus was equal with the Father, and yet in the roles that they carried out, Jesus took the function of being submissive to the Father. He's the one who said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. But he's also the one who said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He was submissive to the Father. And so he was equal with the Father, and yet in function, he took the role of being submissive. You know what's interesting? The fact that Jesus did that doesn't make us think less of him. It actually makes us think more highly of him. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, because he subjected himself to the Father, humbled himself in obedience, it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And so the meaning of submission is to place yourself beneath your husband in order to meet his needs. Second thing I want to look at in these verses is the sphere, and that's in verse 22. Wives, be subject, and notice this phrase, to your own husbands. That's an important phrase. There are two thoughts here. The first thought is that you own him. See that? He's your own husband. And so you are to submit yourself to the one that you own. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it spells this out even more clearly in verse 4. It says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In a marriage relationship, there is mutual ownership. The man possesses the wife's body, the wife possesses the man's body. That's reinforced in our passage down in verse 31 when it says, The two shall become one flesh. And so when you as a wife submit yourself to your husband, you are submitting yourself to the one who you own, who is actually one flesh with you. But there's a second idea here, and that is, he says you're to submit yourself to your own husband, which means you're not to submit yourself to everyone else's husband. If I come up to you in the lobby and say, sweetheart, it's raining outside, would you go get the car and pull it up by the door? Um, you don't have to listen to me. In fact, my wife doesn't listen to me if I say that. And shouldn't. You see, you have one that you are to submit yourself to, and that is the one you married. That is the one you love. That is the one you said, I do to. And so when it comes to submission, you are to submit yourself to the one who you own, who is your husband. Now, some of you are frowning as I say that because you're saying, but you don't know my husband. You don't know Harry. I would rather submit myself to anybody but him. Well, let me show you a verse. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. 
Some people argue that Paul's the only one that talked about this subject. Here's Peter's passage on it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Peter says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word... Now, that includes Harry, doesn't it? Even if they're disobedient to the word, what are you supposed to do? You are to be submissive to them. Why? He says, so that they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So the sphere of submission is to your own husband. Third thing I want to point out in this passage is the spirit. Verse 22. Last phrase says, you know, submit yourself to your husband as to the Lord. Now that thought runs throughout this passage. It's mentioned here in verse 22. When we come to chapter 6, verse 1, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Verse 5, slaves, be obedient to your masters as to Christ. That is, behind the husband, the parent, the master, you are to see the Lord who gives that authority to those individuals. And so when you are being submissive to your husband, you are really being submissive to the Lord. That's why I have, a tr- I have trouble with a wife who tells me that she's walking with the Lord in every area of her life except when she gets home. Because you see, the most spiritual thing you can do as a wife at home is submit yourself to your husband. Because when you're doing so, you are really submitting yourself to the Lord. And that's kind of exciting because it tells me that your trust, although it is in your husband, is not ultimately in your husband. Your trust is in the one who designed marriage. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5 we read these words, For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. They hoped in God and so they submitted themselves to their husbands knowing that God was the one who designed marriage and their submission was ultimately to Him. Fourth thing I want to see in these verses is the reason and that's in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body. Now notice something here it doesn't tell the husband to be the head it says the husband is the head. So this is a job he didn't audition for. He just got it. The husband has been given authority by God to lead and to care for his wife and his family. And that is an awesome responsibility. In fact, it's a job, quite frankly, that is beyond him. And that's why he needs help. He needs God's help, and he needs your help as his wife. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 it says when God created Eve, he made her a helper suitable for him. Now, some people don't like that word helper. You know, it's interesting. If you look in the Old Testament, at every other time that word appears almost to a, to a, to a verse, it speaks about God. It tells us that God is our help and our shield. And so if God of the universe is a helper then there's nothing shameful about that term. God is helping your husband. You are to be helping your husband. And there are a variety of ways to do that, but let me underline the most significant way you can help your husband. You can help your husband by helping him to accomplish that role that God has set him out to accomplish, and that is to be the head of the family. You say, well, how do you do that? 
You do that by giving him a biblically submissive wife who recognizes his leadership and whose daily responses empower him to lead. Submissiveness is a way of telling your husband, I believe in you and I'm with you and you can do it. It's a way of keeping him the leader even when he doesn't want to be the leader anymore. You see, if you compete with your husband, if you criticize your husband, if you correct him, if you step in when he fails, you will drive him to do one of two things. Either he will quit leading or he will become a dictator. God has made your husband the head. And God will one day hold him accountable for that family that he is the head over. Your job is not to compete with him your job is to compliment him by being who God has called you to be so that he can be who God has called him to be. And again, this has nothing to do with being better than. It has nothing to, be, to do with being more spiritual than. These are simply roles that God has assigned in the family. It's no different than the church. We would not say that the gift of teacher is superior to the gift of helps in the body of Christ. Those are roles. And so the husband has been given a role, he is the head, and the wife has been given a role. They are equal and yet different in the roles. Fifth thing I want to point out here is the model. Verse 24. For as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Do you need an example of submission? Paul gives you one. It's the church being submissive to Christ, which tells me that this submission is 100%. It's total. It's complete. Now let me add something to that. What happens when you totally submit yourself to Christ? When you totally submit yourself to Christ, a paradox takes place, and that is you find your life by losing it. That's a principle that Christ taught over and over again. In the same way, when a, when a wife dies to herself and submits herself to the Lord by submitting herself to her husband, guess what happens? She finds herself in that relationship. If you insist on your rights, if you demand your rights, you will ultimately lose them. If you lay them down, if you submit yourself, you find yourself in that relationship. And of course, the counterpart to that is the husband in verse 25, laying down his life in love for his wife. Sixth thing I want to point out in this passage is the extent what are wives to be submissive in? The end of verse 24 says, in everything. You say, does that mean everything? Well, let me give you a principle. Total submission without personal sin. Remember Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah went down to Egypt. And when they got down to Egypt, Abraham said to Sarah, you know, you're so good looking that when we get down there, Pharaoh's going to see you, he's going to kill me and take you. So when we get down there, I'm going to tell him you're my sister. And that way I won't get killed. Now it's interesting, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it tells us that Sarah is the mother of all submissive wives. You know what she did on that occasion? She went with him. Got down to Pharaoh, and Abraham lies to Pharaoh's face and says, this is my sister, and, and uh, Pharaoh said, nice looking sister. And so he took her into his harem. 
Now, God delivered Sarah out of that situation. But you see, Sarah was being submissive to her husband in that situation. If she had gotten to the point where Pharaoh said, I'm going to sleep with you tonight, then it became personal. At that point, Sarah would have to say, wait a minute, I'm married. But she was submissive to Abraham, and actually God delivered her out of that situation, even though she was in a difficult one. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 5, we read about Ananias and Sapphira. Tells us Ananias and Sapphira sold some land. They came into the church and they gave the money to the church. They only gave part of the money to the church, but they said, it's all here. We gave it all. Now, it's interesting. If you read that passage, it tells you that Ananias brought the money in. Sapphira wasn't with him, but it tells you early in the chapter that he did it with her full knowledge. So he comes in and he lays the money down. He says, it's everything we got for the land. And Peter says, because you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you're going to be struck dead. And he was struck dead on the spot. Three hours later, Sapphira comes in. Peter gives her the opportunity because he asks her the question, is this what you sold the land for? Now, at that point, she could have said, I was just following my husband. But now it became personal, and she chose to join her husband in that lie and because of that, she joined her husband in the cemetery. A lady asked me one time, she said, I'm a Christian, and my husband, I think my husband's a Christian, I'm not sure, uh, he, he's, he doesn't really act like it a lot of the time, but he came home and, and said that he wants me to watch pornographic movies with him because it'll improve our sex life. What should I do? Well, there's a situation where she was torn between the command to be submissive to her husband and obedience to the Lord. And I said, that is personal sin for you. So at that point, you have to override the commandment to be submissive to your husband with the commandment to be, be obedient to God. You have to say no in that situation. And so the principle is total submission without personal sin. So wives are called to be submissive. The meaning Arrange yourself beneath your husband to meet his needs. The spear for your own husband. The spirit as unto the Lord. The reason because the husband has the role of being head. The model as the church submits to Christ and finds her life by losing it. And the extent in everything short of personal sin. Now, in closing this morning, let me just point out a couple things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7, it says that the woman is the glory of man. And if you read the context of that passage, it's talking about headship and submission. A woman is the glory of man, and her glory shines most radiantly when she's a submissive wife. Now, you tie that in with what our passage says a little later in verse 27, and speaking about Christ, but applying that to the, to the husband, it says that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. So there's a great combination. The wife is being submissive so that she becomes the glory of the man, and the man is sacrificially laying down his life for his wife so that she might, be, might arrive at all the glory that God has called her to. So the woman becomes the glorious woman that God designs her to be by being who she is called to be in that marriage relationship. You know, as we talk about this subject, I realize that there are not many people today that place much value on a submissive wife. 
But I want to show you one verse in closing this morning. That's back in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. And here we see God's assessment of a submissive wife. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. It says, And let not your adornment be external only, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way in former times the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, how? Being submissive to their own husbands. These verses tell us that there's something that God considers precious. That word precious means most valuable. It's the same word used of the woman who came to Jesus and broke the costly vial of perfume and poured it on the Lord Jesus. God looks around the universe that he has created and all the wonderful things he has created. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, over and over again, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. But he looks at a submissive wife and he says, that is precious. That is costly. That is very, very expensive. You want to do more than just please the Lord? You want him to be able to look down on you and say, that's precious. And as a wife, you're to be submissive to your husband in everything. Now, next time we're going to talk about the husband. And I don't want you to leave with this one message because you're imbalanced at this point. In fact, it's interesting in this passage that he spends more verses on the husband than he does on the wife because the husband needs more work. In fact, we're going to spend this one Sunday on the wife and two on the husband. So we're going to, wives, you get him back here and we'll hammer him next.